the antidote. 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 You're listening to the antidote with Dave Hawkins. With Christian music that doesn't suck.
if there's one consistent aspect of the antidote, it's the inconsistency. <laughs> My music tastes are wide, and so is the music on this program, like the goth rock track Sanctuary from the Children of Power. You know, I do enjoy retro music, especially the songs found from the early part of the Christian music era, but I'm certainly no expert on it. Someone who is an expert is Jeannie Bond, the founder of Key Records. Jeannie and I met to talk about the artists on her roster, all of whom were part of the mid-80s alternative Christian music scene, like New Society, Mike Knott, The Coolers, Lifesavers, Steve Taylor, Scattered Few, and the bizarre Crazed Bunnies. If you've heard of any of these artists before, you're going to love what's coming up. If you know nothing about them, this will be an experience. We get to my talk with Jeannie right after Rock Stars from the Pearl. You wanna be rock stars? Yeah. Jeannie Bond has come to The Antidote for a chat. Thanks for being such a willing victim, Jeannie. <laughs> <laughs> a victim? <laughs> I didn't know I was going to be a victim here. <laughs> oh, it just depends on how this talk goes. <laughs> yeah. Well, tonight's talk is a bit of a change for this program, since we usually look at music direct from the artist. This is different because you have a record label, Key Records, with a catalog of retro releases. That kind of music must have a personal appeal for you. 
Yeah, it does. I mean, obviously, uh, most of this stuff is uh, Mark Krischak related, which uh, he was, you know, a founding member of the Lifesavers. And they put out an album in 1981, the first Christian pop punk ever. So, uh, you know, that's kind of what got me hooked. So uh, I went from there. I actually started the label, and I, the first thing I put out was a, was a flexi discs. And it was a clear plastic flexi disc that you could get uh, made at, you know, at Evatone. Uh, Evatone made all kinds of plastic records for every kind of thing you can imagine. So uh, that was the cheapest way to make vinyl back then. Yeah, that's how it got started. But before that, I actually had a catalog. Uh, I was doing distribution of all these little cassette demos and stuff. So that's uh, how it got really started. Then I started, you know doing you know stuff on my own label so that's kind of how it got started key records couldn't have been a money-making thing so why in the world would you start a label well uh there were so many zines so many artists you know doing little cassettes you know their own thing and you know nobody had put it in one place you know it was just kind of out there scattered around it was like you know scattered few i don't know if you're familiar with a band but Everybody was scattered. So I just kind of took everything and put it together in one thing. Anybody who, you know, would say yes, you know, would you sell your stuff on consignment or would you, you know, sell me five cassettes or whatever. So that's kind of how it got started that way. And how did you connect with the artists who put out music through Key Records? Well, um, the, all the zines. There were so many little zines back then, and they were reviewing, you know, like The Crucified and, you know, Scattered Fuse demos and stuff like that. Um, there were just so many zines, and that's how I got connected with it all, through the zines, really.
Remember, I said to expect the unexpected. The aggressive electro-industrial sound of Black House coming through on the two classes of people. I guess I should have pointed out that the artists on Key Records really are considered part of the Christian underground music scene. But realistically, wouldn't most of the Christian music of the early to mid-80s be considered underground? Most of it, except for like Steve Taylor, Daniel Amos, you know, the choir, the altar boys, anything that you could buy in a store, you know, the mom and pop, you know, Bible bookstores, you could buy that kind of stuff in there. But everything else that had that pop punk, the, the just the alternative stuff, there was no other place to get it. You know, it was kind of just a grassroots thing just came up. Yeah, because I guess that was really the beginnings or the early stages of the mainstream Christian music scene. Yeah, we had artists like that, artists like DeGarmo and Key and Randy Stonehill, the Res Band and Michael W. Smith. They were all recording during that era. The bands that you had on your label were in the underground, but were any of them wanting to sort of cross over, or were they content where they were? Uh, I think most were content where they were. They didn't think they'd ever get into a store. You know, because just the the kind of music they were playing and, you know, the attitudes, you know, they weren't on board with the, you know, the total Christian music scene. And, you know, a lot of people wouldn't let them play in the churches. We discussed that, how you don't fit here, you don't fit there. So nobody wants you. (laughs) So, (laughs) So I was the one that, you know, I was the one that was like, okay, I want you. I'll start distribution and we'll get this thing going. And none of them really broke out into the mainstream. I would I would say none did. Now, I mean, the Crucified was one of the, but I don't I don't think I ever connected with the Crucified to get them on my, you know, in, in distribution because they were on their way. That is the only one I can kind of think of that really made it kind of big. Um, well, scattered few because they were on their way too. There was a big scene in Southern California. There were concerts. There were zines. Everything was going on out there. And you were far away from that because you were on the opposite side of the country. Exactly. So, yeah. And Scattered Few, the name of that band, really described us because we were scattered all over the country. There might have been nobody within 100 miles that was listening to the same kind of music or reading the same zines. Scattered Few, though, the band, that was really like a cult favorite. I mean, even is now. Right. True. But, uh, you know, they did get on major labels like the Crucified did. Major, you know, not like Benson or, you know, Word. You know, more of a sort of the mid-level, I'd say, uh, labels. Flesh for ears and flesh for eyes Materialize the God in disguise Like we're in Guinea Wasting away in the trance of the chameleons With our cocaine And your members of sin will determine your place for your destiny. 
time to be exposed to <laughs> scattered few on a pair of songs. We heard Kill the Sarks. Next up is Self. artists that you have on the label it goes everything like garage rock uh, techno industrial euro pop pop punk indie goth you had the mm-hmm. whole gamut this is true you know while most labels tend to focus on a certain style i guess it was really because of the era right you just had to cover everything yeah you did i mean you know if they were out there doing stuff and i thought they were good enough you know they were like okay everybody else should know about this band Everybody should know about the Lifesavers. Everybody should know about Labor of Love because they were just good. And, you know, nobody was giving them a chance kind of thing. So that's what I did. Well, I guess there is one person in common to most of the music on Key Records. <laughs> that's Yeah, that's Mark Chrischak. Of Lifesavers. So. You have to be honest here. Were you actually doing all this record label stuff just because you were an obsessed fan? <laughs> uh <laughs> Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> well, he was the one that, you know, he's one of the ones that said yes. You know, I was like, can I put this on my label? Yes. Can I put this on my label? Yes. So, you know, like he said yes, you know, and a lot of times you'd, you'd contact other people and they, you know, you'd never hear from them again. So um, he's the one of the ones and he had so many. He had like, I don't know how many, a hundred releases or something like that. So I just uh, went through his catalog and picked a few, you know, the best, you know, like the Coolers, Louvre. Uh, lifesavers you know he was he had it going on big time with with some of these bands i suppose that really lifesavers you would have to consider that to be the most major artist that you had on the label yes yes definitely um you know they were on another label obviously they came out with a you know an lp in 1981 and um it kind of disappeared you know like a few years later you know you couldn't get it so, I, you know, I got permission from Mark and uh, just went with it. I was just going to say, you know, it is the, you know, it's the most interest I have is from that because people want the LP again, so. Well, what about filling us in about the band, about Lifesavers? Well, uh, it got started. Mark Krishak started the band. You know, Mike Knott was in the band. Um, and uh, he left to, it, there was a lot of really, you know, how, you know, band members can be, you know. Oh, yeah. It's like there was a lot of tension in the group and a lot of back and forth. And, you know, this person took, you know, the name of the band. And, you know, you know it was one of those things where it didn't end well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> 
but uh, you know, Mark, he was the founder of behind this whole deal. Uh, somebody described him as he had a ministry of starting bands. He would start bands, and then you know they'd go for six months or so, and he'd like start another band. So he was not really into the whole rock star thing because he had actually, before he became a Christian, he was in a group called the Popsicles, which was in the late 70s in Southern California. It was kind of like a Tiger Bee type of <laughs> band. Yeah, that's and embarrassing. So, yeah. <laughs> so it, it's all on YouTube. So. <laughs> uh, so he had gone through that, that whole star thing. And so he, he was just like, let's just have some fun. Let's you know, start a band, let's, you know, play a few shows, and then let's go to the next band. That's why you see so many bands that he is behind. Many bands have ever had as catchy a sound as Lifesavers, especially on Oh Yeah. Next, Jeannie tells us about the members of Lifesavers. You spoke about Mike Knott. Well, of course, right. he's gone on to be considered one of the, I don't know, most influential artists, I guess you could say. Yeah. You know, had mm-hmm. bands like Aunt Betty's and Cush stuff that I just adored. Right. And of course, a ton of solo stuff. Yeah, he was just one of the players in the band when Lifesavers began. Right. He was just a member of the band. You know, great talent, obviously, because he went on to do so many, you know, other things. But back then, he was just, you know, one of the guys in the band. I'd read a story somewhere that some festival or some show, and they didn't want the band to play because Mike Knott would dance on stage. Can you imagine (laughs) how horrifying that is? We're talking like the ultra-straight-laced Christians. Right, right. You know, um, it might lead to dancing. Oh, my gosh, you know. That's a sin. <laughs> yeah, total sin. So, yeah, you know, he was pretty, I guess you could say he was kind of like, you know, he was out there. He was, you know, he didn't care. And he was just doing his thing. And uh, there was a lot of different incarnations of that band. Some toured with different members. There was another incarnation of the band. There was a lot of interest in that band, and that's why they tried to keep it going. And 
they tried to keep it going and it, it wasn't the same members, you know, kind of thing. No, it seemed to be that all of the releases were all so different from each other. Yes. And especially yeah. when they morphed into LSU, which was completely different style. Yeah, that was basically, you know, Mike Knott's taking that and where he wanted to go. Because Mark didn't have anything to do with the band after, like, the first release, us kids. Mark Krischak must have had a really diverse range of tastes because his stuff ranged all over the place. Mm-hmm. Each band was quite different from each other. Yeah, they were. You know, he just wanted to try different stuff. You know, for example, Louvre is way different than the Lifesavers. You know, Labor of Love, very poppy band. Then when he went, oh, the Coolers. I mean, what an awesome band, you know. All kinds of underground stuff that he was doing. And that was really just how artists had to progress at that point in the Christian music industry. Things were just still in the infancy at that point. That was sort of really the beginning of the era of CCM, of all that tripe Christian music slop. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's the only way I could refer to it. Yeah. It was pretty lame. Yeah, it was really bad. I mean, like I said, there was Steve Taylor, there was Daniel Amos, you know, there was the choir, the altar boys. I'm probably missing a couple others. But those were, like, that's what you could buy in the store. That's not enough. Four bands? (laughs) Yeah, four bands that were actually doing significant music. That's what you're saying. Because the CCM stuff that was coming around that time period was really negligible, artistically. Yeah. Manifest Destiny by Louvre.
I've been listening to a couple of brilliant tracks from Endless Frontier by Simple Plan. That stands out because there really wasn't much in the Christian scene with this techno-industrial sound. Right, there wasn't. I mean, uh, like that Children of Power, you know, almost the only goth that was out there at the time. That was like 1991. There's no other Christian stuff going on like that. I had one of their cassettes in my catalog towards the very, you know, early 90s. That's kind of what interests me. It's like, okay, is there anything out there like this? You know? No, there isn't. So let's put it out there. You know, Chris Jack stuff. Um, there was this, uh, and then also um, New Society, you know. There, wasn't, there weren't many bands doing that kind of stuff. They had so many releases. There was a lot of cool things, you know, on their uh, little cassettes. And so I just took, you know, what I liked from each one and put together a compilation. And that's what it's, uh, that's what the new society, the one I have on my label. So, you know, there was just, it was in its infancy, you know. Now you can get anything you want. We were starving for decent music. And so we had to just kind of make our own scene. And a lot of that music was pretty rudimentary. I mean, nowadays, just about anybody can record a basic song on a home computer. Mm-hmm. Some of the music on Key Records, I mean, it sounds pretty rough, like the band just, Labor of Love. I mean, so yeah. how were these artists actually making the recordings? <laughs> um, well, one of the members of Mark's bands, his name is Jerry Andrews, and he was like only 14 at the time. And they were making, you know, overdubs with boom boxes, basically. <laughs> I mean, truly, he sent me an email recently and explained how, how he did it. And, uh, you know, he's just started doing that with different bands. And so, you know, it worked, I guess, because, you know, everybody was sending out demos and stuff. And he worked with a lot of bands. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I mean, they were recorded in, like, people's living rooms. You know, there was no such thing as paying for a studio. So, yeah, that's how it was done. There's so much of other music that I don't, you know, carry in my catalog. There's just so much that was done with four tracks. Strange man, he knows how it feels Spiritual deranging 
I've become a big fan of that band, The Children of Power with Deadbeat. Crazed Bunnies. They did a lot of techno kind of comedy stuff. We gotta talk about Crazed Bunnies. <laughs> I mean, what a riotous name. That's that's gonna be one of the most bizarre that I've ever heard. Yeah. Their stuff, that's crappy quality. But yeah. the music yeah. is great. So okay, what do you know about these guys? Oh well, um, there's three guys and uh, one of the guys, Mark Plangay, he's with DAS, Dead Artist Syndrome. Oh, yeah. And the other guy, uh, Mike Futch, is he is now Bing Futch, and he's into dulcimer uh, music. Wow. And then Plangay was also Gadget. Uh, that was his moniker. He was Gadget, and uh, he, he did a lot of techno, industrial type of stuff. So, I mean, that's just one of the bands like that. So, <laughs> there's a lot more. This is take 22. I know I'm 
want to get back to something that you brought up already about the distribution. So you're distributing how through ads in the zines that you were part of? That's right. That's wow. right. It was all it was all like a little scene that we, you know, there were zines. There were a few radio shows, like college radio shows, um, that these um, bands were getting on. A few, you know, um, you know, that were the ones that would play cassettes. <laughs> um, uh, for example, in the '90s, I was doing um, some local radio, and I got you know a few of these things on there. You know, there was a lot of resistance to it, so you know they got out there a little. And also, I did these um, I did these radio shows on cassettes that I sent like all around the world. Um, what I would do is I would, you know, do a fake radio show, put it on a cassette, make copies, you know, one at a time. I made seven of them and sent them all around the world. And, and that's how a lot of the bands got uh, popular. And because, you know, obviously people were making copies of the copies I sent them. You know, who knows how many generations, you know, copies were made. I ran into a guy at Cornerstone that um, he had one of my cassettes in his car. You know, he had listened to it on the way there. So, <laughs> so that was pretty cool. That's when you knew that you were famous. Oh, yes. <laughs> but yeah, that's how uh, people heard. You know, if they weren't like listening to a college radio station, you know, had a Christian show on, that was the only way that was going to be done. Putting all these bands into, you know, into a show. And I think that's kind of what I was trying to do is like there's all these separate things out there. Just bring them together. Put them on one thing. Get distribution in one place or, you know, one or two, three places, whatever. But, you know, that's kind of what I tried to do is bring this whole thing together. Now, you mentioned about how when you were going to do this on the radio, that it wasn't being accepted. How come? Well, first, first of all, you know, the quality of the recordings. I can understand that. You know, the quality was pretty low. And... You know, a lot of these uh, shows were done by people that were in churches, and the churches didn't want this or that kind of music played. I'm not sure if you've ever heard of Black House, but yeah, a church is not going to want to have that played on a station that they're, you know, affiliated with. <laughs> it's just <laughs> not going to happen. So yeah, there was a lot of resistance to it, and even I was at a concert in Orlando where Steve Taylor was asked to leave the stage in 1984. Oh boy. So, because oh, his, his music was too radical, and that to me was like, okay, I'm going to rush out and get this guy's album. If they asked him to leave the stage, then that's, that's going to make me go buy his record. <laughs> I brought that up in a talk that I had with him one time, and I said, weren't you really just a rebel with a cause? Yeah. He was definitely willing to step on people's toes and uh, mm-hmm. switch away from that structured Christian mindset. Mm-hmm. So we were kind of up against the same thing he was up against, obviously, you know, in a tiny scale. But the same thing was happening to us. Don't play that music. You're giving us a history lesson here. So take us way, way back. Who was the first underground artist that really made an impact on you? It was probably the Coolers. Uh, One of Mark's bands, uh, you know, obviously the first thing I put out was the Coolers, a couple of songs from them. So, yeah, they're just like the raw energy. They're not even playing in front of an audience. They're just playing it, you know, in in somebody's bedroom. And just the energy that they had was just unbelievable. And just the absolute coolness of the songs. That's what got us started. The Coolers with Susie Blue.
talk about everything old is new again right. that's happening with key records because you have so much of this stuff on cassette and now cassettes are the trendy thing don't oh, you yeah. feel nice to be cutting edge oh yeah those <laughs> 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 things they were you know they were we called it the cassette revolution because it was kind of people power um i could make a radio show and put it on cassette and make copies and send it around the world whereas Five years earlier, you couldn't do that. And then, you know, obviously copy machines, all the zines were made at copy shops. You know, they were, you know, there were a few, you know, newsprint ones that, you know, were professionally printed or whatever, but most of them were just, you know, copy shops. 
So it was really an exciting time because it gave you power to start a, a, a seed. You could start something. You could get something going with zines, with, with cassettes. You could do something you, without, you know, official authority, you know, gatekeepers keeping you out. We just created our own scene, our own distribution, our own zines, our own everything. And of course, now that field has opened up a thousandfold with the internet. And just right. anybody can do a song. You can yes. do it. You can have it up online, everybody to hear as soon as you want it to be. And the quality is way better. Yeah, some of it is so well done. But for us in the 80s, this was a new thing. You know, that kind of freedom and the freedom to create stuff and to, to distribute it was a new thing. It was a really cool time. And really, I'm still discovering bands from that time period. I'm still discovering bands that, you know, did, that had demos that I didn't know about. You know, there's, and it's, it's just expanding. I mean, I, obviously, there's a limit to what was produced back then, but still discovering new stuff. So many bands felt so isolated because there was no music community for them doing alternative Christian music. They felt they were just shouting to the trees. Mm-hmm. Until, you know, we kind of got together and got, you know, a scene going. Then they could feel part of something, you know. And then, you know, obviously Cornerstone was a big part of bringing people together like that. With all the stages, you know, that would play these bands. You know, it was a big meeting place, too. For everybody to actually meet in person. Yeah, I go to the reincarnation of that with audio feed each year. Right, right. That's the kind of people I want to talk to.
new society with temptation, kick mix. I really wonder if they should have considered calling it the kicking temptation mix. <laughs> Sorry, that was really lame. I've had some fun bringing in these songs from the 80s, even if some of them are pretty rough. But it is cool that these bands were so earnest in what they were creating. You know, really, none of them were expecting fame or fortune. Next week's guest on The Antidote is also earnest. He's just out of his teens and has signed to Blood and Ink Records. Luke Dean goes by Vagabond and has just released his debut album, I Don't Know What to Do Now. The music is interesting and so is his story, so be sure to tune in for the next episode of The Antidote. It is time to close up with Jeannie Bond coming back for the last part of our talk, and we bring in the garage rock of Red Christmas on the song Strangers. And we'll see you again next week. All these artists that we've been talking about were really were considered to be on the fringe of Christian music, but what about you personally, Jeannie? Are mm-hmm. you still living on the fringe? <laughs> <laughs> I was pretty much never living on the fringe, I don't think. <laughs> Um, if you saw me, like, I'm just like a completely normal looking person that don't, you know, have any piercings or hair or anything like that. <laughs> so, you know, I was never really living on the fringe, you know? So, um, I just kind of like a normal person in a scene that was like, just appealed to me because of the hypocrisy I'd seen before. And I was like, this is the kind of people I want to be associated with. You know, these are the kinds of Christians that I can talk to and get along with i like the fringe (laughs) but i wouldn't describe myself as fringe i realized that we never spoke about how to find the music that we're talking about how did they find your website Uh, it's geniebond.com it's j-e-a-n-i-b-o-n-d.com from there you can um you can go check out my archives like i have scans of all the cassettes back then um I have the old radio shows I mentioned. Um, you know, obviously you can buy some uh, the Chris Jack music and the other stuff. And then you can listen to a couple of radio shows, some newer shows that I've done. So, How cool. Jeannie, this has been a great talk. Thanks so much right. for coming on The Antidote. All right, Dave. It's great meeting you and talking to you. And I hope we'll connect again sometime soon.